This is Born to Create, a podcast that celebrates the richness of free thinking through creativity, entrepreneurship, and the advancement of the Madison area. Hosted by Richard Jones Jr. and Carla Williams, with sponsorship by Oddly Arranged Media. You're listening to Born to Create, and I'm Carla Williams. And I'm Richard Jones. Really, really excited about uh, our podcast episode today. We have my brother uh, in the room with us today, T.S. Banks. How you doing today, bro? Hey, what up, though? I'm doing good. (laughs) Yo, we've been wanting to get you on the show for a minute, so we glad that it worked out uh, for us to be here together. So we just going to get into it, and, you know, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, So... You are the owner and operator of Loud and Unchained Theater Company. Oh, right? yeah. Um, and y'all just did the festival, right? Uh, the the uh, Black Theater Festival. So we want to hear about that. But, Woo-hoo. right, major accomplishment. <laughs> Shout out to you and your team. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But let's start by hearing about Loud and Unchained, right? Okay. Um, how did Loud and Unchained uh, start and come to be? Oh, my goodness. This is such a long story, so I hope you cut it edit. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Loud and Unchained, let's see. Um, LNU started in my mind, okay, um, several years ago. Um, actually, it's after its name. My theater company is named after my first two uh, plays called Loud my second and third play, okay, called Loud and Unchained, and the second one is Loud and Unchained Spiritual. How I write my plays is probably important to how LNU started because at the time when I was going to UW-Madison and going through First Wave and things, I was going through a lot of mental wellness crises, which had me in and out of the hospital um, with a total of 13 different times. Um, And and so uh, I was going through a lot of times of, of depression mania, I have bipolar disorder, but also a lot of like hallucinations. And um, I didn't really feel like I was getting the help that I needed. I really also felt gaslighted um, by institutions that were supposed to help me. So I decided to record myself um, and my thoughts and what it is when I'm in a psychosis. My partner um, uh, recorded me, um, my uh, close friends. I had a professor at the time um, that was visiting that would record me. And so we took um, my poems from while I was in the hospital or in and out of the hospital. And then we um, also took the recordings and we transcribed them. And then I would wrote LNU, the first play from from kind of those recordings. And that's how LNU Spiritual also came about, where I thought that there was like a, a lot of like demon, demonization happening, especially insaneism happening, meaning um, kind of the discrimination against um, folks uh, that have um, mental wellness challenges or mental illness. Um, and so I felt like I needed to write like a letter to the church of saying, of stating that I am still a child of God. I'm worthy to be loved. And these are the struggles that I'm going through as a black, queer, trans, disabled person going through mental wellness crises. And, um, and so at that point, 
they, you know, there's talkbacks and things that happen at the end. And every time that play uh, was shown, I had numerous other uh, students or faculty or people in Madison or people at my church or whatever just saying, like, I needed to hear that or this is what I'm going through. And then I guess I just was like, Loud and Unchained is a lifestyle. Like at this point, um, I really was going through a lot of like suicidal ideation. And I felt like the more I bottled everything in and wasn't loud about it really and chained up by not just my emotions, but the expectations, um, illness, like all of these things, right? So um, Loud and Unchained became kind of like this way of life for me and my art to just always say the things, even if they're hard, um, because that's the only way I'm going to get free. And in that, I learned that other people will get free when you share. So um, then LAU just became this thing that I just been rocking with. And I decided there were a lot of other black creatives around Madison, around Wisconsin, specifically black queer folks, um, black trans folks, um, black non-binary folks who are also disabled or identified with having a mental illness. Um, and so I was like, I need to make a space, um, or at least with the platform that I'm getting, a way to uplift um, these specific artists. And so Ellen, you just kept growing and growing. And then I'm like, um, I wanted to put my plays back. Um, and I reached out to Broom Street. Well, <laughs> I reached out to a number of theaters. Okay. Um, and then I reached out to Broom Street and Broom Street was like, we want to support you. And I was like, well, you know what? I don't just want to be supported. I want the black artists in this community to feel supported and uplifted. So let's do a festival. And they were like, yup. And so um, that's kind of how we got to the festival. Um, like I said, the first LNU play right i've named at the that the that my business is named after that was written i believe in 2013 so it's just been a long time coming to actually see it get some legs where i feel like it's a platform that's really highlighting black artists specifically black queer and disabled artists can we take a minute and unpack what you said? So I yes. just want to be clear that you said in 2013 you started writing your first stage play. Mm -hmm. um, and that was during that time when you were going through mental health issues and wellness challenges. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you were finding your voice and building circle and building community to find space for you to be loud and unchained and mm -hmm. in, in the way that you were, you felt free. Mm -hmm. And then you transitioned into working with Broom Street Theater here in Madison, mm -hmm. where you created a festival for black creatives. Mm -hmm. So why did you choose to create a, create a space for black creatives, black queer, black disabled folks? Mm -hmm. And... I mean, like, because usually when people are like, I'm just getting my start with X, Y, and Z, they're like, mm -hmm. let me get more legs for myself. Mm -hmm. So why, why was your first choice to reach back for more people? Um, I think that the family, um, I think Rick can attest to this, the friendships that I have, we're all creatives. And sure. I think ever since we were young, if there was something that we had, 
it was automatically what I'm about to reach for my people. Like whether it's an open mic, whether the studio, right? Whether it's something in the park, whatever it is, we just always like, oh, where are my people at? I want to put you on. Ooh, I should showcase you here. So it just didn't even seem like a thing to just reach back. I think I just instinctively just said, um, they were like, yeah, we want to put on your place. And I was like, and I had no, all these other people, you know, you know. And so that's kind of like how it started. It's just instinctually. I think that's how black people in Madison are raised, especially black creatives. That's what I feel like. Yo, I feel like you've said a lot of things that I want to ask a lot of questions about, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to start here. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Loud and Unchained, um, theater, mm-hmm. right? Um, and before that, you did a lot of poetry, right? Oh, you definitely. Music. Yes. Um, so, what was it like? Um, both creatively and just like in life dealing with um, the struggles that you were dealing with, how was it to transform from being a poet to then moving that uh, to theater? Hmm. I think, well, I think having the opportunity um, uh, to go to UW on a scholarship, you know, um, especially to explore my art was one. Um way that kind of just propelled me. Um, I've, I've always been around theater. Um, before I started spoken word, like, or doing spoken word poetry, um, I actually was acting a lot. Um, I, my first major, well, I was in musicals a lot, and then I was in plays. My major, like, star role play was, like, at East High School. It was my freshman year, and I was Mama, um, played the role Mama in Raising the Sun. And wow. then in East, it was just, like, like East, first off, there's a music wing, which is lit. I don't know about the other high schools because I was just at East, all right? Okay. Hey, West High School is busting for the Okay, okay, okay right. Um, yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, but East High, okay, I used to stay, okay, in the music wing. Um, and it was band, okay? It was, um, well, theater was in Margaret Williams. But anyway... It was show choir. I was also in show choir. I was like in like three different choirs outside of show choir, you know, band. And then it was church. And church was also like a bunch of music. And like, so I was always around the stage. So I don't think there was like kind of like a shift. I knew that theater could look so so many different ways. But also being at UW, I realized why I didn't go ahead go into the theater department and get that degree is because it looked a certain way. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that way was very white and very ableist. Um, and, um, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really see a lot of people like me. Right. And so, um, my access to the stage was not this like white, old white guy canon, right. Of art. Um, it was, the stuff that my people were bringing. And so that was very multidisciplinarian. I think that's how you say it. Okay. Um, And so when I decided, because I had all of these backgrounds, right, 
when I got to the stage, even LNU, the first play was, uh, it was, there was a dance in it. There was spoken word in it. There was lines that I had written, right? And then there was also transcriptions of recordings that I did while I was in psychosis. So it just felt like, um, it just felt like theater was, to house it and to name it as a theater company really felt like that. I didn't want to call it the stage company, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it is an interdisciplinary um, company. And and so theater is where I got my start. Yeah. Let's talk about the Black Theater Festival. It oh, just Lord. happened a couple of weeks ago. It did. Um, I know you've been planning it for a long time. Yes, so I, I just want to hear about it. Um, you know, now looking at retrospect of doing mm-hmm. all the planning, coordinating, um, doing the auditions. And now that it's done, it's been out in the world and people have been able to experience yes. it. I want to know. I want to hear from you. Like, how mm-hmm. do you feel? Ooh, Ooh child. Um, I am still on cloud nine, um, just to know that something that I've been dreaming about for so long finally happened. Um, you know, so it originally supposed to be three weeks long. Okay. Directed mostly by me and Dana Pelabine. Um, and it was going to be hosted at Broom Street Theater, but y'all know COVID happened. And so that three weeks, um, disappeared. We didn't know what it was going to look like. Okay. We knew that we wanted to do something. And for me, it was very important to me that folks were able to access the artists. Okay. It was very important that black queer folks and other queer folks in the city, trans folks, non-binary folks, and disabled folks got to see um, ourselves and had access um, to the art that we put out. And I think um, in a way where, like, if you couldn't show up to the venue, you would still be able to see and be around people like yourself, right? Um, And so for me... Like I said, I'm still on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. So earlier you said that when you joined Broom Street and you started building up this like festival and these other things, it mm-hmm. became a space for you to really feel like you had a platform. Mm-hmm. Now that you have this platform, what do you do with it? Uh, I think for me, I'm going to continue to find a way in which artists whom are directly speaking out, not just creating, but black artists um, that are really taking the helm and talking against and about state violence, that are really taking that extra step to educate their people on the things that are happening in our community, the ways in which um, we can get involved, um, that are activating um, our folks uh, to make change, you know, and be accountable to each other. I think that's the direction that LNU will continue to be in. And um, so what I would say is um, not just what LNU will do next, but like watch what the black artists in Madison do next. That's kind of, that's what I would say. So like right now, the LNU umbrella is like, is it like a space for activism? Is that what you're saying? Um, I mean, my artists are out loud and spoken against the state. 
uh, specifically when it manifests um, as state violence, uh, police brutality. They talk about abolition. Um, they talk about queer and trans and disabled issues. And so um, I will say that they will continue to do that. I will continue to look for artists that push um, that rhetoric of how we can get free um, from the state. There are a lot of artists around, right? There are not as many um, artists who are activists. And so I wanted to ask you, um, what roles can artists play um, in activism to help create change? Well, the distinction between activist and organizer, I guess by trade, because I've been a poet for so long and always speaking about just the effed up stuff in this world, right? And the things, the violence that happens to me against my people or within, uh, among us, right? And so I guess with my poetry and my art to activate people, to get them, um, to get them motivated, to, uh, I'm looking for the words, to interrogate um their relationship to privileges and oppressions. So the artist's role, so then to me, I believe the artist's role is to always uplift the demands of the people. I don't think that all artists are activists, no. Um, but I think that if you are trying to forward someone's liberation or to highlight an issue that is affecting a specific group of people or person, then yeah. Um, and so for me personally, I think that every artist, that's just me, all right, should be using their art to advance um, the, the movements or the current demands of the people. And But I also think that the artist's responsibility also is to create from a place that makes us think, um, that, uh, that puts us within art, makes us um, question things that are around us, maybe even question ourselves and what we actually believe. Um, and so I think maybe in a broader sense, the, the, the artist or activist or the artist is supposed to... Um, is supposed to activate thought. Mm, so you're saying that artists aren't necessarily activists, right? But they are mm -hmm. supposed to, uh, they do have a responsibility to the community to do the work and I, still spread yes. the message. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think also, I think that black artists, and I'm gonna speak for black artists. I think black artists, as black people, we have gone through enough. I think that um, if we wanna create things around black joy, mm -hmm. And it just be rooted in joy. And that is the way, and that is your gift to the people, then that's what it is. If it's painting, whatever it is, right? I think, and that's what's getting you up in the morning, and that's what's creating some type of joy, some type of chain thing. Yes, I think that that is also important too. But if you have a platform, okay, and we can all look on your Instagram, your Facebook, your TikTok, or whatever, and you constantly getting likes, you constantly are having a base that is always looking for you, then yes, you now have a social responsibility with your platform, I believe, with your platform to say something other than um, just forwarding your own agenda. I would just say the Black responsibility at this moment and is to survive, 
Okay. Mm. And if you are able to create, great. If you're whatever you create is able to be shared with the world, great. But if it's going to become to a point where it is taxing on your mental or spiritual health, I repeat, okay, only release the work, okay, that is not going to, um, that is not going to kill you, okay? And I'm not saying like by what you say. I'm saying that are you creating from a place where you can give or are you creating from a place where you feel like the means of production that your value is based off of how much you can produce and put out, you know what I'm saying, as a content creator or Mm. whatever. Don't do that, okay? I'd have been down that road and almost tried to take my life, and I ain't trying to do that again. So I'm going to let everybody else know, create from a place in which you can give, right? And then we'll talk about responsibility, so when you originally created Loud and Unchained, it was like a space for people for like people to come together and have a voice. Right now, is that not true? We'll go with that. <laughs> so now, what do you feel like is the need for it? Because I feel like consistently as a creative and as someone who's who's like pushing the pushing forth ideas that aren't necessarily like the norm. What are what are the needs that you feel like or the things that you want to put at the center of what you're doing now? Um, well, I think LNU, LNU is a hub of like black creatives and but LNU primarily is me. Um, and oh, excuse me. Um, and kind of just like what I want to put in the world, black thought. Black, queer, trans, um, disabled thought around disability justice, excuse me, trans justice, black liberation and cross movement solidarity. And so I think the creatives that are a part of LNU and will become a part of LNU also want to forward um, that connectedness and that also like not just be interdisciplinarian amongst craft, but also like how are we incorporating, investigating, interrogating, um, creating around thoughts of, like I said, different liberatory movements? And then how are we making those connections across the movements? Um, and so I think that will always um, be the focus at LNU. So how do you take this, like, because I heard you say that, it, like, LNU is your personality. It's, it's a re- reflection of you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. LNU is a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. How do you take that home with you? How do you have that in your personal life? How are, what are ways that you have grown since starting this theater company and, and found your voice? Or Hmm. I think due to the other black queer folks, trans folks, disabled folks in my life from Madison and beyond Milwaukee, Seattle, New York, Denver, like all of these places where I have friendships of folks who um, embody, have these different intersecting identities, right, that I just mentioned, they really encourage me to live my life the way that I want to and out loud the way that I want to. And that looks like being in love. Um, if you want to, 
if you into romance, you know what I'm saying? And um, the partner that I have, um, they encouraged me to create the family that I have, the, the network that I have to say the ways in which I exist in the world, to articulate through my art the way it is for my crip disabled body to be and exist in the world. Um, and so for me, I feel like um, LNU will continue to be as it is, but as long as I have this community that is, um, number one, just loves on each other so much, I think I, I think that's what, I also think that that is what helped me step more and more out of my shell. Um, I don't remember, I don't really remember being that quiet. Some people will remind me that there was a time yes. where I was more quiet, you <laughs> yes. know? you were a lot more quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Say, um, 12 years ago, you were a lot more quiet. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, like, as I can say, you know, therapy, number one, has been a saving grace for me. Um, being able to articulate and define my own spirituality, um, being able to fall in love, being able to create a family. Um, I think all of those things um, have pushed me outside of my box, but it wasn't it was because of the black elders and in the queer community and the trans community, it's not necessarily age that will that classifies you as an elder. It's about um, how in which you've been able to live your life the way that you want it to live it. Um, and are you able to give that advice um, and support and nurture? So for me, I hope that I continue to keep coming into myself, you know, whether that's what I say, how I live, um, just the way that I show up in the world and not be and not be afraid to take up space. I think I used to be afraid um, because of my fatness, my blackness, then my disability, um, that there the world made me feel like there was that that I shouldn't take up space. And nah, it's it's more than enough room for us to breathe and way more than enough um, for us to all eat. So um, I guess living loud and unchained is a is a process that'll be lifelong. So how do you like find balance at home? Because like when I think <laughs> of like being with another creative Mm -hmm. I would think that it would just always be constantly on. We're always like in the mindset of do, yeah. do, do, go, go, go. We was told not to date artists when we was growing up. Yeah. Don't date an artist. Definitely yes. don't date a poet. They don't oh, write a poem about you. Lord. And then you throw the entrepreneurship on top. Right. And <laughs> my baby, um, Alex Shabazz, my fiance. Okay. Can I just first interrupt and say the smile on your face right now <laughs> is <geez>. real. <laughs> uh, Alex, oh my God. Um, I'm crazy about her, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, we've been together for a long time. We're coming up on 10 years. I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm asking Bay like, is she here? <laughs> She's not here. It's, we coming up on 10 years, you know what I'm saying? And I... You you just we didn't been so through so much. It's almost as if I don't know. We both had an entrepreneurial spirit when we got together, okay. And I think we both pushed each other to 
come out of our shells more. And she really has just, she allows me to be me, which is, so anyway, when it came to like creation, how do you like turn it off? Um, I don't know if we do, but like, it, I don't know if everybody's relationship works with this. We've got multiple entrepreneurs, but we, I guess because we've been together so long, we know when to turn it off. And because she has her own field, I have my own field. I am always just so enthralled and want to know more about what she's doing and I and she's the same way with me like even if she doesn't know everything about the stage and I may not know everything about um the way that she creates right one thing that we are together on is our belief in black power black liberation and um making sure that our people eat so in that sense it's probably hard to turn off. And at the same time, it's kind of what that's just a part of our relationship. That's like, it's a cornerstone. Yeah. So do you have any gems for people who are dating or in relationships? Like, cause I feel like the smile that you have right now, I don't, I don't think I had that kind of smile. After a decade. Or right. Two, right? Like, oh, okay. I ain't tired of each other or nothing. Like, <laughs> Give it a week and my smile is a frown. So. <laughs> I just, um, like I said, me and Alex are still young. You know what I'm saying? And we've been together since we was young, young. And um, for me, just like my friends, when I see the glow up, right, and I see everything that is happening, for me with Alex, everything that she does, it just excites me you know what I'm saying and I think the gem for me is to stay excited to stay intrigued to just um to stay curious about your boo you know what I'm saying because on the days when it's hard if business get hard if life get hard that curiosity to be able to dream together is something you know what I'm saying we've been able uh, maybe at this time for another show, we would talk about how we got together and the struggles that we've been through. But she inspires me to create and be myself every day and find you somebody like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. It is. That's really beautiful. Yeah, we're going to take a moment and just soak in that love right there. Oh, that was so sweet. Literally. That was, wow. Hey, that's a sound bite. Oh. That's a clip right there. Okay. This is like a moment. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that was just so beautiful. And I feel like when I think about, like, black people in the community and things like that, I think about us always being consistent and, like, learning to love on each other. Yes. Yes. And so it's it's so beautiful to hear you t- taking the love that you have for yourself, for your business, and also being able to have that in your home life. So when you think about, like, things that you want to give to, like, the next generation of people or what you want your legacy to be or what you want to want people to know about you, because, I mean, we all can't be in textbooks. So it's like, what do you want people <laughs> to know about you, to Absolutely. know about Loud and Unchained? Um... Mm. that the liberation of black people is the most important to getting us free, all of us free. 
And I hope that Ellen Yu showcases the voices of those whom I think have been counted out and not given the space or safety to be themselves. And so I hope that me and my legacy through LNU was just that I gave a space um, for folks to be themselves, to love on each other and um, to push ourselves to be better and fight for liberation, period. Yeah. Dope, okay. Um, so we have this question that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, it's probably my favorite question just in life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that question is, what does creativity mean to you? Um, creativity to me means the authentic, unchained expression of oneself in any medium or platform. Yeah, that's creativity to me. Well done. That was <laughs> that was great. Well defined and well succinct. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, yo, thank you so much for coming to kick it with us today. This has been an awesome episode. Um, we learned a lot. We got a lot, and um, I'm definitely leaving inspired. All right. So uh, my name is Richard Jones Jr. I want to say my name is inspired too, but I guess we'll go with Carla Williams. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. (laughs) All right. We've had T.S. Banks, and he was born to create. Take care, y'all. See y'all next time. Black power, (laughs) y'all. Thank you for listening to Born to Create. We're your hosts, Richard Jones Jr. and Carla Williams. If you know of someone in the Madison area who should be featured on our show, send us an email at oddlyarranged.gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to Ali Arrange Media on all social media platforms to stay up to date on all things Born to Create. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.